also wrote, this is his magnum opus. This is his most important detailed theological work. In Romans, verse by verse, he unveils truths of the gospel going all the way back to Adam and to Abraham and to Israel's past. But in Ephesians, he takes these same glorious truths of the gospel and he unpacks them for us with this uncanny, descriptive, and almost worshipful um, language. In writing Romans, it's almost like that he's a theological um, surgeon or he's like an engineer of words. You know, he just goes into great detail with these words and he's an historian. But in Ephesians, this same Paul, same person who wrote Romans, he comes to us as a herald, as a poet, as a teacher, as a wise sage, and maybe even an artist. And you'll see some of that as we work through the details. Ephesians becomes very personal to Paul. He begins to talk about how he is the benefactor of this grace of the gospel with these words. He says, though I am the very least of all of the saints. This is the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. His name used to be Saul. God converted him. He blinded him. The scales come off of his eyes. He changes his name to Paul, and then he sends him out to preach the gospel. And Paul ends up being used to write two-thirds of the New Testament. The guy loved the Lord, knew the Lord, was willing to lay down his life for the Lord, which he did. But he says, I am the very least of the saints. But you know what? This grace was given to me. Why? To preach to the Gentiles. That's us, people. That's us, the Gentiles. This unsearchable riches of who Christ is. So that which was cognitively understood with our minds in Romans will now work its way deep into our hearts in Ephesians. And in doing so, will hopefully provide us with these amazing gospel reminders that are of paramount importance, these rules of applying the gospel in day-to-day living and the way that we interact within this church setting, the way that we interact within our families, the way we interact with kids, the way our own kids, the way we interact with our spouses in such a way that we'll understand that the gospel impacts everything that we do. Let me say this. You are going to love Ephesians. And I stoked? I am. That's me. But you are. Because you're going to see some things in Ephesians maybe that you have never seen before. Some of what we're going to jump into is really hard. Some of the theological concepts that we're going to wrestle with are not easy to understand. Some of the applications of how we take this, and this is what this looks like when you get into an argument with your spouse at home, or how you raise your children, or how you submit to this boss who's not really a very loving, you know, kind uh, person, they're not easy, nor should they be. When This morning when we came together to pray, one of the last things that we said before we stepped into this gymnasium arena you know, this morning was that Christianity really is supernatural. It shouldn't be easy. We're talking about the God who created the word in the Hebrews, I think it's ex nihilo. Someone can correct me on that because I never pronounce it correctly, but it means out of nothing. He spoke everything out of nothing, right? This same God 
Emmanuel comes to visit us, to give himself for us, and then he says, I'm going away, but don't worry, I'll come back to you. And then he does come in the person of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to step into some more next week. God residing within us to make himself known to this world, knowing that the enemy hates him and will do everything to destroy him and the church and Christianity, it is a spiritual endeavor. It shouldn't be easy. There's nothing about it that should be easy. It's hard because if it were easy, we could do it ourselves. We wouldn't need His grace and strength and wisdom. But we jump into a book like Ephesians because Ephesians reminds us that it's all about Him and it's not about us. Why study Ephesians? Well, we're going to answer some of these questions. Why do we worship? What should we pray for? Who are we? Why is the church such a big deal? I'll hit pause. A lot of people will say, well, I can just worship Jesus at home. I don't have to be in a church setting. You're going to have a hard time giving that answer if we finish the book of Ephesians because he spends a lot of time talking about the importance of the church. How is it that we can be unified? How can we imitate God? How do we live out the gospel within the structures of our families, within parenting, within marriages? How should we view our vocation in light of the gospel? And then the one that we are right now, several of us, probably all of us dealing with, is how do we engage the enemy? How do we fight against the enemy of our souls? He doesn't play fair. He attacks in ways that he shouldn't, but he will. And how do we respond to that? Where do we receive the power to be able to go against him and to fight him well? All of that is outlined for us in the book of Ephesians. In short, remember when we went through, if you're a part of Redstone Church, remember how we went through the table series? How many weeks was it? Like 13 weeks or something? Right? We went through the, the table series because there's a table on our logo. And Lord knows I could probably go through and just explain the whole thing to you right now, but I won't. But the table represents Christianity. The gospel is on the top, and then there's these four legs of the table. And the first one is worship. You know, what does worship look like? What does the second leg, you know, community look like? How do we serve the Lord? And then how do we be multipliers of the gospel? All of that. They're not separate things. You can't like understand and, and love Jesus and, and, and serve you know, Him and the gospel and do it alone on an island by yourself and not be worshiping Him and not be serving Him and doing it you know, not in community and not being a multiplier. It doesn't make sense. This is Christianity. And in the same way, when you look at the book of Ephesians, everything that you're going to see is, oh, well, this is what Christianity is. This is Jesus changing us forever revealing himself to us, giving us hope, showing us that this is not our home, and then he sends us out to be his ambassadors, and then he's basically saying, and this is how you live out that gospel with everything that you do and with who you touch and with just your whole lives, this is Christianity. So Ephesians is just a great glimpse at what Christianity is. And in um, chapter 1, verse 16, which we're going to read in a moment, Paul prays this prayer for the church at Ephesus. And it's the same prayer that we're praying for you and me as we go through. It's verse 15 through 20. I think I've got it here. Yeah, there it is. 
For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and then he, 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 he starts unpacking it. Here's what I'm praying. That He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of our hearts suddenly enlightened that we may know, know what is the hope to which He's called us. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? He is praying that God would reveal Himself in such a mighty way that He would make Himself known that the scales would come off of our eyes and then we would see it and we would grasp it and we would just grab a hold of just the grandeur of the Gospel and then we would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus and yes, I've got the power in Him and yes, I will proclaim Him. And that's what Ephesians will do. Who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. So we study Ephesians in hopes that we're going to have this same spirit of wisdom and of revelation and that our hearts might also be enlightened that we might know Him better and that we might understand His glorious salvation that He has granted to us. Now, you're going to notice right off the bat when we jump into the book of Ephesians, especially on the first half, let's say the first couple of chapters, we're going to look at salvation and we're going to look at the gospel from this panoramic view from one side to the other, but it's also a panoramic view that's coming from heaven itself looking down to us. That'll make better sense. So we can begin to talk about salvation and, and Christ and what He's done from an earthly perspective and kind of work our way up to heaven. Ephesians does just the opposite. It starts in heaven with a heavenly perspective and it declares these things that we may not fully understand and then it begins to unpack them a little bit slower in practical ways that we can live them out. Okay, lots of words here. Paul gets going and he can't stop. For example, in verses 3 through 14, it's one sentence. He begins to describe God and all that he's done. He just continues. There's a comma, there's a semicolon, there's another comma, and he just continues and continues and continues and continues and continues. You know, I do that sometimes. It just rattles. Just, I can't stop. And I go on and on. It has nothing to do with caffeine. It has everything to do with just what the Lord is doing. And you just can't help it sometimes. You begin to overflow. That's what Paul does. It's the Holy Spirit through Paul revealing more of Christ to us. And in verse um, 8 of chapter 3, he refers to these things as the unsearchable riches of Christ. So we're on a journey. You know, we're on a journey over the next year. We've got our little chisel in our hands and we're going to dig into Ephesians and we're looking for these unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, normally we have a lot of fill-in-the-blanks, like truth number one through four or five, and I've got some you know, blanks there for you to fill in. Not today. i got three blanks for you. That's it. And that's intentional because we don't want you like writing today. We want you listening. We want us to step in and hear the Word of God this morning. But if you're going to fill out your blanks, your blanks, here they are. 
Okay, you got three. These are the three sections of Ephesians. The first section is position. This is chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through 327. And what he's going to do here is he's going to walk us through the first couple of chapters and we're going to look at these in hymns. There's these you know, bookends of who we are in Christ. You know, with uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to the end of 2. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to be in Christ. And then th- in chapter 3, he continues to unveil some of that positional, um, descriptive you know, language to us of what it means to be in Christ. So that's our position. I'll come back to the sit part in a moment. Okay, and then when we get into chapter 4 through 6, 9, this is our practice. This is how we apply the gospel truths. This is how we walk with him on a daily basis. Okay, Uh, so we'll look at all of that. We'll look at, you know, how does it work within the body? How do we connect with one another within uh, a church? How does it work within a marriage? Again, how does it work with a family? How does it work with your employer or with other authority structures that are in your life? And then we get all the way to chapter 6, verse number 10, and we go to our third P, which is protection. So you've got your position, your practice, and your protection. And in chapter 6, we are going to see that it is in the Lord and the strength of His might that we began to understand how to fight against the enemy. We will identify the enemy, and then we will teach you the armor of God, and we're going to go through that very slowly, and we're going to think about how is it that we actually live out the armor of God. Okay, so I just changed slides. You can't look on your notes. So somebody tell me, we got three P's, okay? Who wants to tell me what the three P's are? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, Luke. Okay, so Luke, you get this book. Somebody pass this back to Luke. Pass that back. This is a small book. This is our resource. I recommend. I ordered some of these this week. And Luke, you know you cheated just now. And we're going to expose that in front of everybody. Okay, Luke, act- Luke actually typed the worship guide for us this week, so he knew every bit of this. Okay, so there's this, um, there's this book, it's by Watchman Nee, it either looks like this or it looks like this, okay? It's $4 and change on Amazon. It's, what, 70 pages, okay? And it's a quick overview of the book of Ephesians. If you want an easy read, if you want to understand Ephesians a little bit more, I just recommend that you order uh, this particular book. There's other books as well, but this one's real simple. And here's the concept behind it, and this is why I want you to, you know, to look at it. Sit, Walk, and Stand is the name of the book. It's the same thing when you're looking at your position, that's sit. When you're looking at your, your, your practice, that is walk. And then when you look at going against the enemy, how is it that we're being protected, that's stand doesn't make sense unless you understand that before you can begin to walk with Christ and before you can understand how to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, you need to understand who you are in Christ. So those first three chapters are going to look at who we are in Christ. That is where we sit. Okay? 
and then I think it's five or six times the word walk is going to be used. It, you know, like for one example, it says walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then it tells us all these different kinds of ways that we can walk. So we understand who we are in Christ. Okay, now take it. Don't just sit there on your bum. Now go do something with it. How do you live out the gospel? That's how you walk. And then you know what? As you're doing that, and even last week as we're doing that as a church, and we begin to expose you know, the enemy, he is going to come against us. He will attack you, he will attack me, he will attack the church. He always has and he always will. And you know what? We can actually stand, and that's the last one, against him. We can stand firm in the Lord and in the power of his might. So I encourage you to jump into sit, walk, and stand. Okay. All of that by way of just simple introduction, I think we ought to jump into the book of Ephesians and listen to Jerry a whole lot less. Okay, so this was, I said earlier, a circular letter. Paul wrote it. He sent it. It comes into Ephesus. They read it from the beginning to the end. Then they roll up the scrolls and they take it to the next church. Guess what? The scrolls have made their way to Elizabethan, Tennessee. Right? We have the same letter. It's the same letter that was read to the church of Ephesus over 2,000 years ago. It's the exact same letter, and we're going to read from beginning to end this letter today. That's all we're going to do. And then next week, we're going to teach it. Okay? Now, if you want one of the little booklets, they're $5. If you're like, I don't have $5, we're going to give you one anyway. But if you haven't gotten one and meant to get one, and you want one so that you can like circle and mark it up right now, Jenny's back at the back, and I just, just Jenny, do you stare there? Right, so just raise your hand if you want one of the little books of Ephesians. Does anybody want one? We'll put one in your hand. And if not, you can get one later. Anybody? Okay, very good. Let's step in. And so get your Bibles out or pull it up on your phone. And there are six of us and we are going to read through the book of Ephesians together. I will read chapter 1, and then we will pass the baton on to other people. Lord, just make your word come alive to us this morning. Let's begin. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who were in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things 
according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all and in all. Sam Adams, chapter 2. God's Word says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him 
we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right, very good. So in just a moment, Tavis Clonch is going to read for us, but as we step into the next chapter, you've looked at chapters 1 and 2, and it's been real heavy. This is what your position is in Christ. Okay, obviously we're not going to teach that or preach that, but that's what we've done. Now notice as Tavis reads this, in chapter 3, he's going to continue talking about this mystery. I think the word mystery is probably going to jump out four times. Okay, this mystery of the gospel, but then it becomes personal to Paul because he realizes how it's impacted his heart, and then he just begins to kind of turn it into a moment of praise. So I pray that as you're listening to chapter 3, that you'll also think about, if you are a believer with us this morning, how has this grace found its way into your life? And as Paul is worshiping at the end of this chapter, see if you can have your heart do the same and just give glory to God. Tavis. For this, re for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of, the, of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, of, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that, <clears throat> sorry, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the workings of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable, unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone and to bring to light for, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. <clears throat> so that though the church, so that through the church, um, the manifold wisdom of God might, made, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has, re, um, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access to the, with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than that which we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tavis. So chapter 3 takes us into this time of worship, and now we're stepping into practice. So we're going to begin by looking at um, just the, the church and what does it mean to walk united as a church, and then we'll continue uh, the, this theme of, of practice when we jump into chapter 5. So Nathan Muenberg is going to stand and read for us this morning. Thanks, Nathan. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who has descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work 
with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All right. Thank you, Nathan. So you, you begin to see, like, how do we practice? How do we live out this gospel? Now, when we jump in chapter 5, you know, we're going to see that we are to be imitators of God and what that looks like within our families, what that looks like husbands and wives, but we're still in practice. So we've got um, Logan Bennett who is going to stand and share uh, chapter 5 with us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should also should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right. Thank you, Logan. We can even see in this chapter some of what we talked about you know, last Sunday, this exposing the enemy, putting things into the light, you know, coming um, into play. And we see in verse um, 29, you know, that the Lord nourishes us and He cherishes us as a church. And that's such a great encouragement. So we're going to continue with this practice, but now we're going to talk about children and parents. And then it's going to talk about bond servants and masters. Now, obviously, we don't have slaves today. So when you see this, think about your employer or the employee-employer uh, relationship. So Evan Tyree is going to read this. And then after that section, you'll notice we're going to jump right into protection. And it'll be just, it'll, you'll see it, just jumping off the page. Oh, here's the enemy, and this is how we protect ourselves. Evan. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, able, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers 
in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Sincerely, Paul. There's the letter, right? It took us about 22 minutes you know, to read through um, this, this, this letter, these six chapters. But as we slowly read through, you can just see these various topics jumping off the page. And we're going to take our time and we're going to ask the Lord to help us to see them, to digest them, and to learn how to live them out. And as we do so, we'll find our way in chapter 6 often because the enemy will come against us. But we can be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I'm anxious to get started today if you want me to go ahead and like preach, you know, chapter, well, at least the first part of chapter 1. You know, if you've been here long enough, and I do this often, I love bookends, don't I? You know, there's always these bookend slides that I'll have. Ephesians has bookends as well. Okay, so if you look at chapter 1, verse number 2, it says this. The first bookend is grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the very beginning. So here's this bookend of grace and of peace that starts the book of Ephesians. Okay, And then if you look at um, the end in verse number 23 of chapter 6, it says peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's grace. Grace be with all of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. These bookends of grace and peace at the beginning and at the very end, grace and peace, I just pray that as we step into this study that His grace is just revealed to us. By grace you have been saved. You haven't done anything to deserve it. It is a gift of God who has chosen to make Himself revealed. It is all but grace. And Paul would say, I was persecuting the church. I was having Christians put in jail. I gave approval for this follower of Jesus, Stephen, to be stoned. But God still extended His grace to me. I just pause for a moment with this one gospel moment to everyone who's here. You know, there were people last week that confessed stuff that they've never confessed before. And God was right there because there's grace. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've struggled with trying to live out your Christian walk or if it doesn't matter if you've You've just been religious or you've just rejected him over and over. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. David had Uriah killed and slept with Bathsheba and God's grace was right there. Saul had Stephen killed and was persecuting Christians and he calls himself the least of all of this, the, the saints, but God's grace was right there. This story, this book, this letter of Ephesians it's all about God's grace and this same grace that has now worked its way from Ephesus to Elizabeth in Tennessee is here for you and it is here for me. And then he ends with the same grace and peace because if we understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, get this people, we have peace with God. We're no longer at enmity with God. 
We don't have to work our way into good standing with God. It's because of the grace of Christ looking at us from heaven from a panoramic standpoint and view, right, that we can, we can see that this mystery was unfolded and it was given to us. We have received grace upon grace and because of that we have, present tense, peace with God. And that's my prayer. And for anyone who's here, it said it earlier, I probably won't find it. Um, yes, assuming that you have heard of Him in chapter 4, verse 21, assuming that you understand this salvation, let me explain some things to you. But I can't assume that everyone in the gymnasium of the Boys and Girls Club this Sunday morning really understands this grace. If that's you, let us know. Fill out a card. Put it back in the back. We'll reach out to you. Come see somebody that you know, if you know, you know people that are here. But don't go home not understanding the grace of God. It changes the way that you read the letter. And this grace and peace, our prayer is that it will be just exploding within our hearts. In chapter 1, I read this long prayer. We're going to pray this this morning as well. And then we're going to close our time. Let's pray together. Father, borrowing from the words of this amazing book, I do not cease to give thanks for the people that you have assembled here at Redstone Church Elizabethan. As I remember them in my prayers, I pray that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us as a church the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in our knowledge of Christ as the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in us as your saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe, according to the working of your great might that you have worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Father, use the words and truths from this small book to truly change us, to grow us, to encourage us, and to remind us. And may our response be of thankfulness and of worship and may it lead us to gospel boldness that we too would share these truths with others and extend your grace to them that they might have peace with you as well. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.